and I'm going to be reading in verse 9 and following. Verse 9 and following. Remember, last week you guys encountered the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, devastating realities. But now, verse 9, we see the fifth and the sixth seal being open. And mind you, don't forget this. The one who is opening it is a slain lamb. He is a slain lamb. We are going to see incredible acts of judgment in this text and in the upcoming text throughout Revelation, but never lose focus of the fact that these seals are open, these judgments are brought by a slain lamb. In other words, he is one who has offered himself already. He is the very object of our salvation, and he's, he's already provided salvation, and now he's saying, okay, I'm bringing justice to bear. So verse 9, it reads, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told the rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they, as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal then, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when it's shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that was being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who stand. I grew up uh, with two older brothers, so three brothers in the home, which meant that everything was competitive, right? So whether it was out on the basketball court or in the yard playing football or even indoors, you know, playing the, the board games, there was this atmosphere of competition. Uh, and yet for me, I was the youngest of the three brothers. Right? And so in moments where I would be undone in potential defeat, you know, I knew this is not going well for me. My older brothers are going to win again in these moments of exasperation, in these moments of anger, you know, I would want to give up. I'd shout out, I quit, right? And usually, if it's basketball, I'm usually punting a ball, you know, way into the neighbor's lawn, or if it's a board game, flipping the whole thing over because I'm just done. I quit. This is over. And yet, I would sometimes, if my dad was around, hear my dad 
say before I could get to that point of final exasperation, I quit, I would hear him say, Dan, don't give up, don't give in, finish the game. In the moment, I didn't really care that he would say that, but as I grew up, I began to recognize it's one thing to be defeated. It's another thing to be a quitter, right? It's one thing to be defeated. You gave it your all. It's another thing to give up and to give in. And if we are to get the main idea of the book of Revelation even, we should be hearing God say to us, church, don't give up, don't give in, finish the game, right? He's calling on us to do that. And, and this is the reason why Revelation was written in the first place. If you remember when we began, it's that uh, God is stirring the church up to this hope and holiness in Jesus so that we might overcome, right? It's all about this endurance. It's all about the seven churches, remember, being addressed. And now being shown the last days, if you will. And the reason that God is showing them the last days is to spur them on. Continue moving forward. Continue enduring. Don't give up. Don't give in. Finish the game. It's one of the reasons why we've already seen in chapter 4 and 5 this window into heaven. Why are we given a window into heaven? It's so, once again, that as the church, we may not give up or give in. Why? Is heaven in turmoil? Do you remember the text earlier? Is heaven in turmoil? Are, there, are they wondering, oh, I don't know about this. This is looking like defeat for us. Is heaven exasperated in these moments? Absolutely not. The throne is occupied securely, right? And it's the Lamb of God who holds human destiny in his hand. It's the scroll. And he's holding that securely. And with the throne occupied securely and the destiny of humanity held in Christ's hand, all of heaven is erupting in worship. Worthy is the Lamb to receive power, wealth, wisdom, honor, and blessing. Heaven is not in turmoil. That's to stir your hope to not giving up, not giving in, but finishing the game. Now, last week, James took us through the four horsemen of the apocalypse. In other words, what we began to see is Jesus now is unrolling the scroll. He's slitting the seals, and with every seal, there comes a judgment. Now, one of the things, just as an aside, as we do a little review before getting into our particular text, is what we have to see is that we're going to see three cycles of seven. There's going to be seven seals, there's going to be seven trumpets, and there's going to be seven bowls, right? And most likely, these three cycles of seven are not necessarily chronological, that you have the seals first and then the trumpets and then the bowls. What you have are similar events taking place, and they all are culminating in what we will see in our text as the day of the Lord, the final day of judgment. 
it's kind of like these three cycles of seven become like kind of different cameras in a sporting arena, right? And they're picking up on different aspects of what is happening in greater or lesser intensity of the things that are happening in the world and happening in heaven. And it's like these three different camera angles that are picking up on these final events of human history. And so they are similar events, if not a pattern of similar events that we'll see through these three cycles of seven. But once again, they're all supposed to point us to the fact that all of human history is held in Jesus' hand. Therefore, as the church, just as it would be for the seven churches who have already been addressed, so it is for us. It's the same exhortation. Don't give up. Don't give in. Finish the game. So we saw then, last week, the four horsemen. Strange stuff right? The images of these four horsemen that wreak havoc upon the world. And once again, just to reiterate what was said so we can kind of carry the context into the text this morning, is that these horsemen are actually images that come from the Old Testament. So Zephaniah chapter 6, I believe it is, has these similar images. And even before that, in Ezekiel chapter 14, we see the same categories of, 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 of wrath, of difficulty, of judgment that come from these horsemen mentioned even in Ezekiel chapter 14. And before that, all the way back to Leviticus chapter 26. So the Old Testament is replete with these patterns of tribulation. In other words, we could probably say it this way, this is not the first time that the four horsemen have ridden. It's not the first time that they've been sent out. In other words, there's been layers and patterns of tribulation that has come upon God's people and upon the world throughout all of the Old Testament. And now as we get to the final moments of the last days, even Jesus in Matthew 24 will say, carrying very similar categories to that of the four horsemen, he will say, oh yes, they are coming. These difficulties are coming. But know this, they are not just difficulties that are coming, it's deception that is coming. In other words, these four horsemen are going to hold out to us all kinds of solutions to your felt problems. Jesus says in Matthew 24, he says, there's going to be many who come saying, I am the Christ. I'm the solution to your issue. And what do we have in our world today but a world that offers endless solutions to your problems? Endless agendas, endless political perspectives. This is gonna, what, what's going to save the day? And nothing saves the day. It's actually that these agendas and these perspectives and what the world offers to us are found to be just false saviors, empty agendas, things that don't actually bring salvation, but actually bring judgment. They bring devastation upon God and his people. Here we go. Let's see if we can hold it down or not. So once again, it's important to recognize 
that when it comes to what will be experienced throughout the church age, this destruction, all these false agendas, it's important for the church to stand firm, to not give up on who Jesus is, on the hope that he provides, on the Savior that he, who he is, but, but also then don't give in. Don't give in to all the worldly agendas that are put before you because they will ultimately end in destruction. Now, as we get to our text, verse 9 this morning, the question that is posed before us, okay, is, all right, Lord, how long must we endure? What does it really look like for the church to be faithful, to not give up or give in? What is it going to look like? What does faithfulness actually look like? And verse 9 as you see, what we see God saying is that we, as the church, as was true for the seven churches, as this is written particularly to them, we must be faithful unto death. How does that land on you? You must be faithful unto death. To not give up and not give in and to finish the game means this, that you must be faithful unto death. So verse 9, what do we have? The fifth seal is opened and we see that there are martyrs, those who have been killed for the sake of Jesus. And note the language that is used here. They are under the altar, those who have been slain for their witness. Here are individuals who have lost their lives, and the imagery is important to pick up. It's temple imagery. The altar, of course, was in the Holy of Holies, and the sacrifices were, were made there, and the blood, the life is in the blood, remember, would drip down from the altar. It would drip down underneath the altar, and so the imagery here is that here there have been people whose lives have become living sacrifices unto death. And there they are, those who have been persecuted under the altar. We should recognize, church, that the way of the church in every age until the coming of the Lord will be a way of persecution. That's the way it began. Even the seven churches in Revelation, Antipas from Pergamum, I believe it was, he died as a faithful witness unto Christ. But we know even after the time of the seven churches, Nero comes, and what does Nero do? He, for entertainment's sake, you see Christians thrown into the Colosseums, persecuted unto death. You see Nero taking the corpses of Christians, putting them in cages over his garden and torching them in order to light up his garden in the evening. The church has endured persecution from century to century to century to century. It is the way of the church. So even now, more recently, Voice of the Martyrs, that magazine, has demonstrated the fact that Christians are the number one persecuted people group in the world. And more Christians are being persecuted in our day than in any century since the church was established. So that even more recently, just, just this past week, there are these calls from certain pastors on the front lines of some very difficult situations, and they're saying, pray for our children. 
Why? Because now the children are being used in this scheme of persecution. They are the ones that are being abused and called on to renounce Christ. Persecution is just the way of the church. It always has been, it always will be, but notice this. The imagery that is used here to describe these who have died is the very word that is used to describe the Lamb of God. He was slain to ransom many, which is to recognize this, that persecution, yes, is going to be the way of the church, but persecution, although it seems like defeat, actually serves to advance the purposes of God. Just like Jesus was slain in his death, he ransomed many, and he made us a kingdom and priest to our God, so that even as we follow in the way of Jesus, who was that faithful sacrifice for us, we now walk in his way, willing, being willing to lay down our very lives to be slain. And it's through then even persecution that the church advances forward. So you look at the places of persecution within the world even right now, and what's happening to the church? It's growing like crazy. So even in the early church, they coined the phrase, Tertullian coined the phrase that the blood of the martyrs will become the seed of the church. Through persecution, through persecution even unto death, the church will actually flourish. Kingdom purposes will be advanced through the persecution of God's people. It's what Jesus told us would be the case. He says in John 15, if I've been persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. Right? The servant is not better than his master, as he says. So if I've been persecuted, know this, that you will be persecuted as well. So it's important to keep in view, folks, that we are not to give up. We are not to give in, even unto death, because even in death, the purposes of God are being advanced. The kingdom is growing in greater measure, being realized in greater measure through the persecuted church. And ultimately then, what do we, what do we have is this people, this, these martyrs crying out to the Lord. They say, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe, which is to represent purity, the righteousness of Christ, that they stand in Jesus, that as they walk through the slaughter, right, as they walk through, if you will, the slaughterhouse, the, the persecution, the difficulties, just as they are, have followed Christ through bloodshed, now they share in the righteousness of Jesus in glory. They're given white robes, and they are told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. In other words, God is just waiting. He's waiting on those whom he has particularly chosen to give their lives, to lay down their lives such that they would be brought in and finally bring about this final day. That even the persecuted church, in this sense, will bring about the final day of judgment in seeing all things made new. God intends to advance his kingdom, to advance his purposes, even through the death of his people. 
Be faithful, church, even unto death. Don't give up. Don't give in. No matter how you may feel defeated in this life, no. Know this, that God, even through sensing something of defeat in us, is working his perfect purposes through us. Now, for us, check it out. You say, Dan, we, we don't suffer persecution, right? We get to do this freely. We get to be online freely. We get to put these speakers out and annoy our neighbors a little bit, right? We, we actually get to do this freely. But here's the point. It doesn't mean that your life should be any less that of a living sacrifice unto God. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, pick up that instrument of death, the cross, and follow after me. He calls us to be living sacrifices, even when things are good. And that, by the way, is the deception, the initial deception, the American deception for the church today. Oh, things are comfortable, things are good, just sit back, enjoy. You don't want to do church in 90 degree weather. Go watch online. Don't do anything too significant. Don't be inconvenienced. Don't sacrifice your comforts. It is the very schemes of the enemy who would say, don't give much of yourself for the sake of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, be faithful even unto death. This is what he calls us to do. This is what he calls us to be. And of course, we have our limitations, right? We can't do everything. But we can do something in terms of being a living sacrifice unto God. How we care for one another demonstrates our, our love. How we love one another demonstrates a, being a living sacrifice. That agape love, that self-giving, that's the way of Christ. But even when it comes to sharing Christ with others, and we all know the kind of fears that come with that, right? I don't want to share it with someone. What will they think of me? And the call, once again, be a living sacrifice, right? Be a living sacrifice. You may get pushed back. You may get made fun of. And that's the point. Don't give up. Don't give in. Continue to live as a living sacrifice for the sake of Christ. Now, one of the other aspects, and my, I'm sure my, uh, yep, it's gone. One of the other aspects that we need to keep in mind when it comes, remember, the four horsemen. The four horsemen come with deception, not just with destruction. The destruction is a result of the deception. The fact that they pose these false saviors before us, right? And the idea is this, is that in our world, there is a real deception taking place. And I think for the American church, once again, if it's not our comforts, it's what C.S. Lewis would say in Screwtape Letters, is the strategy of nothingness. If you've read the Screwtape Letters, you know, it's this interaction between Uncle Screwtape Right? and his nephew Wormwood, and they're these demons, right? And, and the uncle is trying to mentor his little nephew along. And it's this incredible thing that C.S. Lewis says, is, is that Screwtape says, well, work the strategy of nothingness. 
make this individual feel as though they are busy, 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 when all in fact that they're actually doing is sitting back watching the flickering of a flame in the fireplace for hours on end. Make sure that their life is kind of wasted away into the moment of nothingness while they feel so busy. What they're doing is just watching the flickering of a flame when all their life is being lost in that moment, such that, as, as the story says, such that when they come on arrival to the final day of judgment, they have nothing there to show but a wasted life. The church better be careful of the deception at work within this life. If it's not a flickering fireplace, what is it but the flickering screen? I will stare at it and stare at it, and it will hold my attention. And I will look at this, and I will look at that, and I will read this, and I'll read that. And it will be a bunch of nothingness. And the day of arrival will come, and the question will be, do you have anything? Have you given of anything? Have you actually done any good for the sake of seeing the kingdom advance? Have you suffered anything or just lived within the limits of your own convenience? And I know that feels hard. It feels like I'm putting a burden upon you. But this is the way that Jesus says is the way of life. It is the way of life. It is the way of fruitfulness. John chapter 12. Jesus says, if the grain of wheat does not fall and actually die, it cannot bear fruit. And he compares that to us, that in this life you will have to die many deaths. You look at the, the missionaries over time who have gone, they have died many deaths losing children on the mission field, sacrificing incredibly to see something of the kingdom advance. And if it wasn't for their sacrifice, there wouldn't be a representation of Christians in those places now, today. It's that we have to die to ourselves in this moment in order to see something of the kingdom advance. The martyrs who stand under the throne, stand under the throne as those who have not wasted their lives. They have been faithful, faithful even unto death, and with that death, oh, the kingdom has been advanced in this world. Be faithful unto death. Don't give up. Don't give in. Finish the game. All right, but secondly, we only have two points. So with the heat, hang in there. This is our sacrifice this morning, right? Don't only be faithful unto death. Oh, man. You could just stay here. What is this? Suffering in the heat compared to what these martyrs have suffered. Right? And it's just to prove the fact that we as Americans are strange people we're strange people who want all our individual comforts. Don't take those things away from me. I'm not going to sacrifice to be at the gathering. I'm not sacrificing to do this, do that. No, I'm comfortable. I just want to go home and stare into the flickering flame of nothingness. Stop! <laughs> I, I say that with not to guilt you. I say that because I want you to be graced. I want you to live in the good of all that Jesus has for you. And part of that is denying those comforts and saying, I'm laying down my life 
so that actually means something, so that it actually advances God's purposes. All right, I already, huh, I already preached that point. We got to keep, keep going. Be faithful, not only unto death, but be faithful unto the day. As verse 12 and following goes, it says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky even vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. What in the world is that? Once again, when we see images like this, we are not to immediately go literal. We are not to immediately go left behind. Right? These images come from the Old Testament, and they are first figurative. It's not to say that one day there won't be earthquakes, that there won't be stars coming. There, it, it's not to say that that may not happen, but it's not the first application, if we know our Bible well, that we should be hearing. The first application is this, is that all of these images, earthquakes and blood moons, okay? That happens even now, and we think, okay, our kids go crazy, and there's some mystical weird thing happening in these moments, all right? That and this is not the same thing. These images point us to Old Testament texts. We could go to Isaiah 34, and guess what it talks about? It talks about the sky being rolled up like a scroll and stars falling like fig trees coming from a tree. We see the very language of earthquakes, right? And the sun and the moon being black. We see all of this imagery in the Old Testament, and the point is not that these things are first literal, but figurative, and what they demonstrate fundamentally is the powers at work, both in heaven and on earth, both great, the mountains, and small, the islands. Both that which is in heaven, the stars, sun, and moon, but also that which is on earth. It is the powers at work within this world that these images are first pointing us to, such that even stars and even the sun and moon are actually references to heavenly beings. Scripture will give us direct. So even Lucifer is called the morning star. All right, thanks, Russ. Yeah, man. So you, you see this again and again, that angels are called the heavenly Hosts, which are, in literal terms, heavenly luminaries. The heavenly stars are actually referred to as angels. And John has already actually referenced seven stars are the seven angels. These are heavenly beings, cosmic powers, the principalities at work, as Paul would refer to them. These are not first physical realities. These are first images that describe the powers at work within heaven and on earth. So then it's that John begins to write, yes, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. What's the point in all this? What are we to see? 
We're to see that the judgment that will come one day will be cosmic and it will be comprehensive. One day, Jesus is going to deal with all the cosmic powers in a comprehensive way. Such that, yes, even the generals and the kings and those in great power on earth, as well as those heavenly hosts, those heavenly powers, will be brought to submission to Christ. Christ will judge them one day. In his wrath, the wrath of the Lamb, as is talked about, they will be judged. The cosmic powers will be judged in a comprehensive way, such that even everyone, slave and free, will be brought to a comprehensive judgment under Jesus' rule and reign. Don't forget, when we think of this devastating day of judgment, it comes by the one who himself has been slain. Don't forget, he has been the merciful one. When you hear these kind of things, oh man, this is, this is going to be awful one day. What judgment? God is an angry God. No, God is not an angry God. God has been a merciful God, and his world, his creation, has turned away from him and sought solution in everything else that creation provides, rather than in the creator who made them in the first place. And now the lamb is coming, and he's coming with judgment to tear down all powers, all cosmic powers, great and small, the mountains as well as the islands, the slave as well as the free, everyone will be brought to account under the judgment day of Jesus. This is the day that will come, and know this, it's so important to recognize that this judgment day is not just this terror and wrath that will come, it is the exposing of all the deceit that the four horsemen have brought to bear within this world. Jesus says, many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, I'm the solution. Our, our world is offering that to us every day. I can't turn on the TV without being offered something, sold something. Here's hope for your life. Come and get it. Come and apply yourself. All these false saviors, all these empty ideologies, all these political powers that can ultimately bring solution to the depth of brokenness within us all. Biden ain't going to do it. Trump ain't going to do it. Whoever's next ain't going to do it. They cannot solve the problems of this world. They won't solve the problems of this world. Oh, they will sell you on their agendas again and again and again and again. And, and what does it create within us? Division, because I stand over here and he stands over there. And now we're locking heads even as the church when we are those who know what the true solution is, Jesus. He's the solution. He is what we need. We are here then to be his light in this broken world, this broken world that is pursuing all other solutions but Christ. This judgment day will be the final day in which all that stuff is exposed for what it is, dust in the wind. It is emptiness. It is false hopes. It is false saviors. It is false agendas. It is just emptiness. Jesus will prove all of that stuff to be what it is, empty. And he will bring final judgment to bear. So even, church, in conclusion, even if you feel exasperated right now, 
Even if you feel in some way, man, I'm suffering defeat. It's not time to punt the basketball, right? It's not time to flip over the board game. I'm done. I quit. I give up. No, it's time to be faithful. Through your exasperation, through that sense of sacrifice, through that sense of death that you might even be feeling, God's going to be advancing his purposes and his kingdoms through your weakness. Yes. And he'll be doing that faithfully even unto the great day of judgment. He will be advancing his purposes through his church. So church, don't give up. Don't give in. Finish the game. Be faithful, again, unto death. Be faithful unto the day he returns. It's such a wonderful way in which this text ends. There's a question posed that we're going to pick up next week. And the question is this, who can stand? Really, the answer to that is no one. No one will be able to stand. No one will come saying, oh, yeah, I had the solution. Did you guys know? No, I had the agenda. Come on, guys. Like, here it is. No one will be able to stand. All those false idols, those counterfeit gods, those counterfeit solutions will be empty. Jesus alone will stand, the slain lamb standing in victory as judge over all, the righteous and true one, the sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ. In summary then, I would exhort you as a church, especially through the season that we have come through, be a living sacrifice. You you, you come through the COVID fog, right? And it's just like, you feel disjointed, you feel lazy. I've been feeling lazy. You're going back to these stupid things again and again, finding yourself in the slump of just watching stuff and getting sidetracked with endless media and there's plenty of news out there to consume your attention and time and there's plenty of games and sports going on that are consuming your attention and time all this stuff 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 i'm so busy i'm so busy with all this information to take in I would encourage you, living sacrifices must prioritize certain things. It's not to say that social media is wrong. It's not to say that sports is wrong. It's not to say that getting the news and understanding what's happening, trying to understand what's happening in our world is wrong. It's not wrong. But we need a right priority of all those things in order to be the sacrifices that we were made to be, in order to not waste this life so that we're not showing up on Judgment Day saying, well... I knew a lot of the news that was happening, a lot of the sports stuff that was happening, but I failed to actually give of my life to the true things that matter, to the kingdom purposes of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be a living sacrifice. Don't ex- you don't have to exhaust yourself. You don't have to strive. That's not what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to do exactly what we've been doing as a church. It's like, what are the holy ambitions that God has placed upon our, my heart? Now I want to pray into those. But as we pray into those, now we've got to begin taking steps. So even this next season of, as, as a church, that's what we want to begin doing. We're already behind the scenes planning things to, to reach out to our neighborhood in greater measure. So we've been praying these holy ambitions been engaging on that level, and now it's time to step out to actually become the answer to the prayers that we've been praying. 
Now, God, empower our hands and feet to take your name to the ends, at least, of this neighborhood and beyond. So it's all a part. Being a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Make sure that your priorities in your life are set right, that you're praying through some of those things. God, am I giving too much time to stuff that doesn't matter? Am I, am I seeking comfort in the things that can ultimately give me rest? Right? Am I too busy right now with real things, even work? Work. Work. Some of us think that, of course, the next step in my life is always to walk up the ladder of work. Oh, if, there, if, if there's a greater salary, well, then I, that's the way I go. No, it's not the way you go. Dissolvable income in this life is not the goal. Do you know that? Sometimes we have to lessen even some of that work in order to free ourselves up for the eternal work that ultimately matters. Right? Or it means taking Jesus into the workplace. Or it means learning to, yes, get those positions and then utilize your funds rightly for his kingdom purposes. Right? So it's all that that we have to think through. Be a living sacrifice. And know this, that as you are a living sacrifice, and I promise to end with this, Jesus says, John 16, verse 33, in this world you will have what? Do you know it? Tribulation. In this world, you will have tribute. If you're going to follow me, Jesus says, you're going to feel what it is to be a sacrifice. You're going to feel the tribulation. You're going to feel the hardship. Your body's going to have frailties. The circumstances in life will be hard. Things will be difficult. As you share my name with others, they're not going to receive it. There's going to be all these tensions in life. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. You can smile in the face of adversity. Why? Because I have overcome the world. That's the promise that he puts before us. And ultimately, he will overcome the world in that final day of judgment, making all things new, bringing all things to a final, full, comprehensive solution. Every knee will bow before him. As a church... Let's live like it now. Let's live bowed on the knee, living sacrifice for him until he comes again or until death takes us home. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. You are the slain lamb, the true solution to this broken world. You are the true solution to my broken heart. You are the true solution to the malevolence at work within this world. You are the solution to the darkness. You are the solution to all the political problems that we are facing. Jesus, you are the solution to the racial divides that are felt within our world. Lord, you are the answer. You are the answer. You are the answer. Lord, help us. Help us to be faithful to not give up, to not give in, to not fall exasperated, to not fall weary in well-doing, but to continue live as a living sacrifice ultimately for you until that day that you ultimately will make all things new. So God, we ask you to do this in our hearts and in our lives. And, and God, I, I pray even for those who... Uh, 
who have not known the solution that you offer. Jesus, thank you that you say you are living water to the thirsty soul, that you will have anyone who comes to you. Thank you that you don't call us to jump through hoops. You don't call us to do a bunch of religious stuff before we get to you. You just call us to cast ourselves at your feet with all our brokenness, with all our sin, with all our backwardness, and trust in you for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might have fellowship with you, that we might know the true solution to this broken world. So Lord, I pray, I pray even now for those in hearing uh, distance of us, for anyone who does not know you, that they can look to you, they can turn to you and find the satisfaction of heart that you alone provide. God, we know we were made for nothing less than an infinite God. Only the infinite can satisfy the capacity of our hearts. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would let your spirit, unleash your spirit through even this neighborhood, bring regeneration to hearts and lives. Would it be that you would give life and even make hearts and souls new so that one day when we stand before you, we will stand with you and not opposed to you. So God, may your grace be known through us, through your church, for your glory, for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen.